0: Hi an indó the
1: time we Mon seen end of chacht they're
0: Skilti fis a person Gurfader ever met at this high school question here. I'mчес' guy unable to in You're listening to the Indo-Daily. Now, a special episode from our sister podcast, The Tell. What about these people here? What, what, are, those what, people what do they here think are of you? People, well, you know what they think of me? They think I'm the son of God. Do they? Yeah. Cults. We all think, it could never happen to me. If we can't live in peace, let us die in
1: peace. We're all ready to go. If you tell us we have to give our lives now, we're ready.
0: We all think I could never be suckered
1: in. What would I do for him? I love him as a brother.
0: We all think that I would never blindly follow a leader. Is he the son of God?
1: I hope he is.
0: But thousands of us join cults every year. Thousands find themselves trapped and controlled. Ian Howarth never thought he would fall for it. He never thought he would lose his mind and freedom to a cult, but he did.
1: I was a danger to myself, I was a danger to society. Uh, But I suddenly became aware that I was invincible. I could do anything I wanted to. Ian fell victim to mind control. When someone becomes a victim of psychological coercion, they become someone else. But he ultimately found a way out. The leader's wife, Mary... She contacted me a year or two after I'd escaped and said "Um, just want you to know I'm very sorry for sending that letter to your place of work to try and get you in trouble.
0: He went on to spend a lifetime warning of the dangers of cults, running the Cult
1: Information Centre charity. When I managed to escape from the group, I was collecting myself for a long time. It took me 11 months to recover. This is his story. Ian
0: Howarth, thanks for joining me on The Bell Tell. Now, Ian, your interest and your expertise in cults goes beyond you know, an academic interest or a professional interest. You have had personal experience of, of, of being in a cult and is indeed escaping from a cult. I moved
1: to Canada in um, 1972, and in 1978 um i got involved in a a cult there i was approached whilst i was doing some shopping um one day i was approached by a very attractive lady and i was very single so that wasn't a problem and um she had a clipboard a chart and a pen and said she was doing a survey and asked me some questions for this survey and i was happy to give uh, answers and uh, at the end of it she said you know the way you've answered these questions Um, I think you'd be interested in this community group that I belong to. Well, I wasn't. I I did my own thing. And she could see she was losing me. And she said, isn't it time you gave something back to the community in which you live instead of taking all the time like most people? And that made me feel rather awkward and uh, and guilty and selfish. And I was selfish. And uh, uh, I thought Toronto, where I was living, has been very good to me. Maybe I should be giving something back to my community. So I said, well, tell me more. And she said, well, look, we're gonna have a meeting with this group that I represent. It's gonna be in a hotel, in a ballroom there. Uh, Here's the location, 7.30 next Wednesday evening, see you there. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll I'll be there. And she took my phone number and phoned me a couple of times to make sure it was still on for me. And and I turned up at the meeting. And there were probably about a hundred people there at this meeting. And uh, so I joined the crowd and then uh, at the start of the meeting, a lady came out. She was probably in her early thirties and uh, she started to talk about the benefits of this group and how she'd um, become an alcoholic. And I thought, what's going on here? Why is she talking about this? um anyway i sat there and listened politely and uh she went on about how when she got involved with this group and went on one of its courses um she got rid of not only her alcohol problems but drug-related problems as well and um, i wasn't an alcoholic i wasn't a drug addict i didn't intend to be and i was really bored Uh, to tears with the whole affair. And I thought as soon as the break comes along, I'm off. Anyway, I listened to her droning on and um, finally the break was called. but instead of leaving, I noticed that there were people coming into the room with food. They had biscuits, they had sandwiches, cakes, they had drinks. And uh, I thought I've paid $2 and at the time about a pound um, to go into this meeting in the first place. So I might as well get my money's worth. So I stayed and started to pile up a plate with goodies to eat and then carried them all out into the corridor outside to eat them because I wanted to smoke a cigarette and that's where you could smoke out there. And as soon as I lit up the cigarette, a lady rushed over and said, oh, we didn't know you smoked. And I pulled the cigarette out and started to look for an ashtray thinking I was bothering someone. And she said, no, that's okay. You can smoke out here, but have you thought of quitting? I said, yes, why? She said well we have a course which amongst many other things will show you how to quit smoking and what she didn't know was finally she'd hit my area of interest and um, i wasn't just a smoker but i did want to quit so she'd hit my area of interest and i said don't oh, well, um, tell me about your course i'd actually checked into courses in toronto and the best one i'd found cost 225 dollars, about 100 pounds um it ran over five uh, weeks and they said they had about 70% of sole success. So I thought I'll compare it with that. So I said, tell me, um, how much is your course? And she said $225, exactly the same price as the other one. So the money wasn't a problem. I then said, um, well, um, uh, what's your success rate? And she said 95 to a hundred percent. And I thought, what? That's incredible. And I said, how long is the course? And she said three or four days. And I, so I thought three or four days and that percentage of success, this is obviously the place for me. But being a, a businessman at the time and skeptical and, and cheap, um, I thought um, I better check it out further before giving them any money. And I found the Better Business Bureau the next day after this meeting and uh and check them out and they said they'd never even heard the organization so i figured if there were any complaints they'd have them on file and that would be that they did have the group on file but under different names and this is a phenomenon that's common in this field because cults like to change their names frequently and that avoids them being connected with uh media exposure in in the past where um People have have complained about the group. And and what was this group on file for? Um, The group had been exposed in the past um, for being a cult and for um, operating courses um, that could be damaging to people. And, um, you know. Uh, because it was, uh, I'd given them a different name that the group had adopted more recently, they, they weren't able to share that information with me. So I went on the course and uh, it was just Thursday evening, Friday evening, all day Saturday, all day Sunday in a motel on the outskirts of Toronto near the airport. And by Sunday evening, I'd given them all the money I had at the time um, in in my, my current account. Uh, so, and that was 1500 and some dollars for further courses and reading materials. The course itself, I mean,
0: did you manage to quit smoking? Or was it about smoking? And what did the course
1: involve? No, the course wasn't about smoking specifically. Smoking was mentioned. Um, I never did learn how to quit smoking, but I quit smoking by Saturday midday before the course had even ended. It was only halfway through. And, um, what I would argue today is that when someone becomes a victim of psychological coercion, um, they go through a change of personality, they become someone else and the someone else that you become is essentially, um, a personality that is strongly related to the personality of the leader of the group, you become a clone. Everybody has the same personality. And I became one of them by Saturday midday. And when I became one of them, this new personality didn't smoke and wasn't going to. Uh, the phenomenon is known as snapping uh, in this field. And so, so I that's incredibly
0: quick. That's incredibly quick. I did not expect that. I expected this to be a process over weeks, months or years, and you, uh, uh, but it's days. So what did you do after the course then?
1: Well, when the uh, course was completed, I was as high as a kite. Um, I drove home at 116 miles an hour on the motorway, um, and the speed limit at the time was 62 and a half miles an hour because it's measured in kilometers. I was a danger to myself. I was a danger to society. Uh, But I suddenly became aware that I was invincible. I could do anything I wanted to. And uh, I was now programmed to understand that this was the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I went to work the next day, resigned from my job. Uh, I had to give a month's notice in the position I was in. And um, people at work were shocked because everything was fine up until then. And I was going to work for the group. The group had never told me if I was gonna get paid, Um, but uh, one might, wonder well how could you logically do that and the answer is i wasn't using logic anymore this new personality was devoid of of logic it just did whatever it was programmed to do
0: and what did they possibly and, say? I mean, what could someone possibly say to another person to program them like this in a matter of days? Because, I mean, for me, this sounds very frightening. That I could have an interaction with someone or a group of people who could reprogram me in a matter of days. That that that's that's really quite stressing.
1: Well, I, I'm glad it is because that's a point I want to get across. Um, that uh, cults are a major, major problem in this country. Um, On a per capita basis, I would argue that we have a similar problem to that facing people living in the United States. And most people um, in uh, the UK and and Ireland wouldn't want to uh, uh, imagine that that is the case, but it is. Uh, What do they do? Well, you've seen stage hypnotists, hypnotizing people. They can do so very, very quickly and um, have a profound impact on what that person will do according to the hypnotist's instructions. Well, hypnosis is a very common technique that's used in the cults, but they don't call it hypnosis. They'll call it meditation or going down to levels or a process, anything but the real thing. But hypnosis is just one of 26 techniques um, that are available to cults that cults employ to break someone down uh, physically and mentally, and make them highly vulnerable to suggestion. Ian, what's what? What was the work you did for this group? What you said you, you you left your work,
0: you left your job, and you went to work for the group. Well, what did you do? I'm pleased to say, absolutely
1: nothing, because I'd given in my notice. Um, on Monday nights, you went back for uh, a, what they would describe as a, a top up and it was their way of making sure that you were still under their control and uh, on Tuesdays because I used to be a swimmer um, I would go to the local children's hospital and help children who um, had special needs of one kind or another to swim. Wednesdays I would be uh, at their introductory programs trying to encourage people to sign up for the next course And so there was something uh, for each and every day, but I was going to work, I was still serving my notice. And then a brilliant journalist, uh, I didn't know he was a famous journalist at the time in Canada, Sydney Katz, wrote an expose of the group two and a half weeks after I'd first been recruited. Uh, It was in the Toronto Star newspaper, which is uh, a very reputable paper in, in Canada. And it was front page news that someone had finished up in the psychiatric ward having gone on one of their courses, a more intense course than the one I'd been on, but one I'd given them money for. And a neighbor of mine who I'd tried to recruit was very worried about me, had seen this article, gave me the article saying, Oh, you should read uh, about your group. It's in the paper today. And I thought it must be positive. I said, Oh, what paper? I'll. uh, I'll get a copy. She said, oh, don't bother about that. I'll, I'll meet you um, uh, in the the lobby of my building and give you my copy. And so um, I went to her building, I was living in a high rise complex, her building next door, met her, thanked her very much, proudly put it under my arm. smiled and waved and walked away. Went back to my apartment, opened up the article and fell apart. I could not believe just how bad it was. And I knew enough to know that you don't write such a, a damning account of a group in uh, a national paper um, without having some hard evidence for for what you're saying. And so that provoked me to think and question. And then I realized I hadn't been able to think and question up until that point. And it, it, it opened the floodgates and actually called the journalist and... Um,
0: And were there some some details in that article that grabbed you, that stood out, that
1: snapped you out of it? Well, the fact that somebody had gone on this course with the group that I thought, before reading it, was the greatest thing since sliced bread and finished up in a psych ward, that was enough to uh, uh, scare me uh, into um, uh, a panic initially and then carefully researching it and finally talking to the journalists. Most cults program you against the media and would argue it's full of negativity or it's run by the devil, something along those lines. The group was sloppy with me. I hadn't done that yet. And I'm glad, uh, because I was still open to media input. And when you spoke to the journalist, what did the journalist say to you? Well, I I initially called him and said, "Uh, can I talk to you about this group? Uh, I'm in it. And, um... He said, uh, "Yes, my boy, and uh, where shall we go?" And so I asked him lots of questions uh, over the phone, and um, he gave me about forty-five minutes of his time. And he was—he was a key writer for the paper. And at the end, I said, um, "He said to me, if you ever want to look at my source material for for all of this, all, all the research I've done, uh, you can come down to my office.'" And I said, "When?" He said, whenever. I said, now? He said, now he's good. (laughs) So I jumped on their equivalent of the tube and went down to his offices. And he gave me his office and walked into the typing pool to work there. Um, And he said, just let me know when you've finished. And when I came out after an hour or two of reading through this material, I said, but this is far worse, Sydney." And you said in your article, he said, yes, my boy, that's lawyer's for you.
0: Let's, let's talk about the leader, Ian, L- leadership, yep. because in the media, when we focus on, on the leader, it's what people are interested in. Um, uh, there's often, when we think about people like David Koresh um, from the Branch Davidians and the Waco tragedy, I mean, there was sexual exploitation in question there is, is that often a factor with the leader is that could that be part of their motivation or is that merely a stereotype
1: um it's something that the media does tend to highlight and uh, understandably uh but it's not often blatantly obvious in terms of um the leader wanting to sexually use and ab- abuse members of the group or herself um i believe that was the case in the group i was in um because the leader had taken one of the members to live with him and so one could argue that because she was now under his psychological control he was it, it was a coercive control um situation and and therefore um He was sexually exploiting her as well as psychologically and financially exploiting her. And people in the group, once they'd taken the next course, the one I never did take, um, were told who they had to sleep with. So there was a complete control um, over the sexual activities of the members of the group. Did you all live together? In that particular group, some people lived together in the same house, and this was a, a way of the group members being able to monitor each other, and um, everybody in the group is working for the group and against you. Um, I didn't make that move because I hadn't yet qualified uh, by having taken the, the next course, um, I, I'm pleased to say. Um but in some groups everybody lives together on a farm or something like that or in some other complex Um, and there are two types of cults we talk about religious cults and the other type therapy cults and in a lot of religious cults you will find the members all living together Uh, with therapy cults it's less likely you're more likely to have your own place but whilst this one was a therapy cult that i was in uh, because it claimed to offer um therapy for whatever you want to hear um some uh, lived together, as I've said, and some lived in their own um, um, dwellings.
0: So you, you, but you'd managed to get away, um, obviously it, it wasn't a matter of years. And of course to me, like, how did the group take that? Like, when you snapped out of it, did they want rid of you or did they try and keep you? What did they do?
1: When I managed to escape from the group... I was collecting myself for a long time it took me 11 months to recover from the two and a half weeks involvement and actually I would argue that it took me 11 months to recover from the four-day course the two evenings and two full days Uh, that's normal Uh, if a person manages to escape from a cult and the intention is to keep you for life of course but if you do manage to escape and people do sometimes then it will normally take a year or more to fully recover and it's a very difficult time um, the symptoms that you experience in that time are, are awful. Um, but when I, uh, in the first month or so, was collecting myself and, and uh, wondering what on earth had gone on and trying to think, where do we go from here? Um, I, I asked for my notice back from work and they were pleased to um, uh, destroy the notice I'd handed in, and and so I could continue working. And um, the group noticed I hadn't come to meetings, and uh, I got an anonymous card saying, we love you. Well, I knew where to come from, because they they were always talking about these anonymous cards with we love you on, on, on them. Uh, to try and manipulate people to turn up at meetings or whatever and they would have result That would have resulted in phone calls and, and so on and possibly people knocking at the door to get me back to meetings if um, I hadn't done what I did, but I then went to the group and demanded my money back from these other courses by letter um, So I approached them by letter to, to get this money back and I sent a copy of the letter to the newspaper and um, I got my money back by uh, return um, mail. And uh, so then I became the enemy. And um, somebody that I spoke to that had managed to escape later on had said, oh yeah, they were talking about you and you were full of negativity and they should have known better because the car you drove was black. So anyone driving a black car must be full of negativity. You know, I mean, they're coming out of the most crazy things. And they were across the road to avoid me. And when I started the first charity of its kind in this field to warn people about cults um, in Canada, the, the group was even more uh, entrenched in its view that I was full of negativity, I was a terrible person. And uh, in the end, it left town because I kept on exposing everything the group was up to before it actually got anywhere.
0: Do you believe this group still exists in some shape or form?
1: It may do. Um, I know the second in command had a bust up with the leader and he went off with quite a few members of the group and started another one. Um, He was um, a professor of physics um, at one of the universities in Toronto at the time. And um, so that may well still be going on Um, But the leader's wife, Mary, um, she contacted me a year or two after I'd escaped and said, um, just want you to know I'm very sorry for sending that letter to your place of work to try and get you in trouble, Um, saying that you were involved in anti-religious activity and you were doing this and that and the other. It was just to smear you to try and make life difficult. And I said, well, in your shoes, I would have done the same thing. You had no... Choice. So you were under his control. And she said, yes, I was, and I've I, I escaped, and I'm glad. And thanks for understanding. And um, apparently she told me she was under police protection uh, because she'd been beaten up twice um, after leaving the group. She had even more information to share with the powers that be than uh, the average ex-member. What was its its stated
0: purpose? What was it about? Was it religious? Was it was? Did it have a social vision? Was there was there something beyond just the cult of leadership?
1: There is no stated purpose. You know, you don't look at a cult um, in, uh, uh, in in terms of uh, looking at an advert. It might have or something like that, and uh, read its stated purpose and so on. The stated purpose is whatever you want to hear. And whatever you want to hear uh, comes out of um, the interview that somebody has with you on the street, like the lady that was interviewing me. And um, if um, uh, you are are someone who would um, uh, like to do your bit for society, then they can get you to that first meeting um, and what on earth does doing your bit for society mean? Well, when you go to that meeting, you find that there's nothing of interest, if you're like me, except quitting smoking. So for me, uh, the purpose of the group was to, co- uh, to, to quit smoking. Uh, for a, a guy I met from Calgary, Alberta, the purpose of the group was to become a more creative uh, artist. For a lady I met who was from Hamilton, Ontario, it was to improve her bedside manner with her patients because she was a a very good nurse dedicated to uh, doing the best she could for her patients in in the ward. So they talk to you about you, find out what makes you tick, and that is what they can focus on and uh, state as their statement of purpose for you.
0: Ian Haworth, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you, Karen.